Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, today we will begin chapter four, the final chapter of Philippians. We'll not go through the entire chapter today because I've cut it up into two very small pieces, but pieces nonetheless that I think we'll find entertaining and enjoyable. Uh, in the past, I had not done it this way. I would go through the entire chapter, but I've learned that our attention spans uh, don't always allow for 23 verses in one sitting. So I broke it down into two. Before we get too far along, I want everyone to always remember, uh, just because I, I hope you find it helpful, is that uh, we will, uh, of course, have this as a podcast as well. So if you were to go to one of your favorite podcast providers and type in Woodridge Baptist Church, uh, you'll be able to see not only these lessons, but also uh, the sermons uh, that we do here at the church. So I hope uh, you guys take advantage of that. So if you don't want to see this on video in the future, uh, you can always do it via podcast. So with those things out of the way, let's uh, get going here. So uh, last time, of course, we wrapped up chapter three. We continued to learn uh, about Paul uh, or from Paul what it means to be uh, to, to, to live a life or to move forward in a life of uh, a humble and obedient servant uh, to Christ or, or walk in Christ. Uh, Paul continued to enforce the single uh, mindset of Christ and how he attempts to model this uh, to the church in Philippi and that the church in Philippi, of course, should do the same. Uh, Paul also does a couple of uh, contrasts and compares here. And one of those that he did was related to the single mindset of Christ, or at least for people to, to do their best, and those who reject the mindset of Christ and live through their own desires. And so if you were to go back into chapter 3, you'd see where uh, Paul Paul brought those two together. Uh, he also uh, contrasts the living the living Lord God, the one, the God that we worship with the earthly Caesar or emperor uh, of Rome that would refer to also to themselves as Lord and would think actually many believed uh, the imperial priests, Caesar himself and, and many others believed was, was divine. But we knew no, truly that Caesar was fully human while God was actually the only divine God. And, um, uh, Paul wants to contrast that as well, which is pretty controversial if you can really think about uh, what, what's going on there, based this being a, uh, a colony of Rome in Macedonia full of a bunch of retired Roman soldiers. So, you know, Paul uh, was not afraid to speak out against uh, that false belief that the Roman emperors were also gods. As we enter the final chapter of Philippians, of course, chapter 4, uh, we are introduced to a few new characters, some who may be struggling, and it seems... Some of these may be struggling in the ministry. We're not told specifically at what level they're struggling, but we'll have some uh, thoughts and ideas of what it possibly uh, could be. Uh, but we'll also uh, continue to see how Paul uh, continues to bring home the point and remind people how to live. And at the end of this section of Scripture we're going through today, we're only going to do 1 through 9, and then next time we'll be verses 10 through 23. Uh, he provides some very specific ways in which we are to live. Uh, some will look at these as probably Hellenistic or Greco-Roman uh, moralistic moralist codes. It could be to a point, but we'll kind of dive into that as well. More specifically, uh, Paul continues to show and to explain and to hope uh, that the people in Philippi will continue to look at Paul as a model 
of what it is to be like-minded in Christ. And so I think what we'll do here is, of course, we'll start there in verse 1. Let me read verses 1 through 9, and uh, we will move on from there. There will be some of these verses that you hear that you'll be like, oh, I've heard that. I've heard that before. This isn't new to me. And uh, that, that's good because this, some of these verses here are, are pretty, uh, pretty well used. Um, unfortunately, sometimes out of context and unfortunately used singly on their own when they should be looked at the full uh, verses before and after them. Anyways, we, we will not do that today. We will look at all nine verses within the context of what we've been studying during the last several weeks. I think seven weeks now. Um, anyways. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Philippians. Therefore, my beloved brethren, or brothers and sisters, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, as this way, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He's obviously very fond of this group, based on the two, well, he says beloved twice, and also refers to them as brothers and sisters. So this is also a very, obviously a very uh, passionate letter that he's writing. He has a lot of passion for these people and, and compassion as well. I urge Yodia uh, and I urge Synthic to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, we don't know who this true companion is, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We're not sure who Clement is either. We'll get a little more detail of that here in a second. Uh, but then it's very interesting. As he goes into verse 4, this is very exciting. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I think we've probably said that in church before. Uh, possibly even sung a song similar to this. And probably just heard this or seen it on a wall at your local Hobby Lobby. Uh, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren or brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That is what I was referring to as the Hellenistic moral code or Hellenistic moralism. Uh, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace, the God as in one God, the only God, uh, of peace will be with you all. Sometimes we like to look at all the yous and yours in here, and we like to think that is a reference to me, myself, and I, but when, in fact, he's talking to an entire community. Of course, there's individuals within, within the community, uh, but Paul is making a point here, and uh, in, in that world, he, they know he's speaking to a community of believers. In our world, we like to think, oh, look at Paul's writing a letter to me. But that's not what he wrote it for. He wrote it uh, for us, as you'd like to say, but he did not write it to us. And so always keep that in mind as we go uh, through this. So uh, verse 1, again, Paul uses, like I said, brothers and sisters or brethren to make the point that he is writing to the entire church in Philippi. You could probably say the entire region of Macedonia, depending on how far at that time the church spread outside of Philippi. Uh, this verse also uh, allows us to have an even more intimate view of Paul's relationship with the church. Like I said, you see beloved there twice. Uh, you also see brethren or brothers and sisters in there. And so it really kind of shows his uh, intimate 
uh, take on this church. He wants them to uh, to to stand strong. And he makes references back to verses uh, in chapter three, verses fifteen through twenty-one. Uh, another reminder on how they should live. They're being perfected or maturing in their relationship. This is a as we sometimes forget. Uh, this is about a maturation process. <clears throat> It is not about a one-and-done process, and it's not certainly not a quick process. We talked about that in chapter 3, about uh, living a life in Christ is more of a marathon than a sprint. And Paul will continue to uh, hammer that one home because he knows what it's like to be transformed in Christ and how it's not always a pleasant experience. It's a good experience and even a joyful experience, but it's not what we refer to always as pleasant or easy I, I avoid using the word uh, perfection here. I like maturing better uh, because a lot of times, uh, sometimes those of us who are a little bit more literal or black and white in our thinking think that we have to be perfect, and that's not what Paul is talking about, uh, which then, of course, if you think you have to be perfect, then you become moralistic, uh, and you become very black and white, and you become very judgy, and that's not what Paul is wanting to do here. Uh, so let's stick with uh, maturing in the present and the future, uh, so being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we continue on into verse 2, uh, we're introduced to two new people we have not heard of, two women. Uh, we can tell that by their name and as well as just the the time in which they lived is Yodia, which means good journey, and Synthike, which means good luck, uh, which good luck with pronouncing that. Uh, seems to be two members of the church who are currently struggling somehow. Uh, possibly they could be even two leaders, which most likely that is true. So two women leaders, kind of like a, a Phoebe or a Junia uh, that we learn about in Romans. Uh, so maybe they've possibly gone astray or have some sort of disagreement. Uh, we could even say they were, going back to chapter 1, verse 1, that they were overseers and deacons uh, as uh, this, Paul was, uh, this, sorry, this letter from Paul was referenced to, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, obviously, they are important. Uh, this Paul is writing to an entire community, and at this point, he points out two specific individuals, meaning that there has to be some sort of significance or level of importance of these these two people. And obviously, uh, since we don't get any details, uh, the people there in Philippi know what is going on between these two individuals. So as we continue on through this and going to verse 3 as this conversation sorry, continues here, uh, we, 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 we have some confusion here of who Paul is referring to. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the two women here in a second and how this all ties together. But uh, who, there's some confusion because who is this, who is this dear one or who is this uh, true companion that Paul is writing to? Because uh, up to this point, like I said, this is a writing to a, a he's writing to a community. And now he's writing to someone very specific. Um <clears throat> And someone who's there, who's being called out, and who's being tasked to help uh, these two women. Uh, you could say possibly even to be a, a mediator, uh, as it seems like we know there's some sort of protracted uh, disagreement between these people uh, that's going on here. Uh, the word used here, some would say it could be a proper name, Sysgos, uh, uh, S-Y-Z-G-O-S is how we spell it in the English translation of it, but it's well, anyways, uh, others have looked at it probably more of a pres uh, prescriptive or sorry, a descriptive noun, uh, which would be suzagos, which I would say probably is your better bet based on uh, what Paul, how Paul typically writes. And um, there's really no name in Greek or Roman during that time that would tie into, or like no yeah, formal given name 
for Sysagos. So Sysagos is what we mean, and so it, what it means there is to be a faithful fellow worker. Uh, so there's so much intrigue here uh, for us to know who this person is and who is this person who is to guide these two wayward souls, but we're not giving much more detail. But fortunately, because this was written not to us, but to them, uh, the people in Philippi uh, know and they understand Paul's instructions and guidance. <clears throat> a little bit uh, a little bit more about our two women, women uh, friends that we know here, uh, we could most likely deduce they have struggled possibly in spreading the gospel or their version of the gospel, probably not their version of the gospel, but how it should be uh, spread. Uh, maybe they have two different ideas about how uh, to evangelize, if you want to use that that trigger word, or how to uh, how to uh, to love people as uh, God had directed them to, or how to have the same mindset of Christ. What it is to look humble, and what it is to look obedient. Maybe they probably try to uh, go in a different direction than what had originally been taught. It doesn't seem like they've done something that has is dividing or destroying the church. Now it possibly could, which is probably why Paul addresses it, but it doesn't seem like it's gotten to that point at this point. Paul makes a point here. Let's see here if it's still here. Uh, those who uh, help these women who have shared my struggle. Uh, that's interesting how he writes that. So it's similar to, like I said, you have Phoebe back in Romans uh, 16. You have Prisca in 1 Corinthians. You have Junia in Romans 16. Uh, these are women, along with these two women, who have struggled alongside with Paul, who have taught alongside with Paul, who have led alongside with Paul, and they have fought the good fight in the struggle of ministry because those who have been in ministry, part of ministry, or uh, have been a Christian understand that there is struggle in the ministry. But it, obviously something at this point is not right. <clears throat> uh, beyond this uh, one dear one uh, or the uh, <clears throat> beloved or the true companion, like I said, who seems to be another fellow faith worker, probably someone else who's been in the struggle, uh, is we learn about Clement, who obviously is another probably faith worker or spreader of the gospel along with Paul. Uh, based on what we see here, there's a group of co there is a group of co-workers along with Paul, and Clement, who are moving forward in a healthy way and are in the book of life and or have found salvation in Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means here in a second. So we don't get any information about Clement beyond his name. And what we can deduce from that is most likely uh, he was a leader in the church, a fellow faith worker with Paul, and that the people in Philippi knew exactly who Clement was. He could have been a, like a deacon, an overseer. Uh, he could have been a, a church planner. Who, we, we don't fully know, but he could have been someone who's their part to help uh, the church continue to grow and move forward. And obviously the church there in Philippi knew who he was. So there's some different ideas about the, is it this eschatological viewpoint of Paul bringing into the book of life, which typically is a, a symbol pointing to the, the end uh, when we were all possibly judged. Uh, so it's, is it the heavenly registry as uh, of the, of, I guess is what you could say, the, the Jewish and now the Christian faithful as described back in Exodus 32, 32, or Daniel 12, 1, or now in, in Luke 10, 20. Uh, I, I have to say Jewish faithful and Christian faithful because uh, the, the Jewish uh, faithful also believed in this sort of uh, book of life. And this is beyond the scope of this current class, but that's kind of what we see with this. <clears throat> it does not seem that what Paul is saying here is that the, these two women uh, do not get along. They'll be blotted out of the uh, book of life. 
uh, if they do not work out their issues, but more more for them to think more about, uh, for them to, to probably refocus and to think about what eternity or what their eternal uh, lives could look like and less about the more temporal battles uh, that they're fighting here on earth. And I think that's a, a great lesson for us too, is do we get want to get caught in the pettiness and the temporalness of this world, or do we want to get caught up in what life with Christ looks like now and will look like for eternity? As he does this, and after he does this, and after we enter, we learn about four new people, uh, much that we know zero about, or very little about, I can't say zero, know very little about, though the church in Philippi knew exactly who they were. Uh, Paul jumps into what you could refer to as maybe as a quick little uh, ditty uh, or worship hymn, uh, one of the, which, which is kind of pointing to one of the leading themes of the letter of rejoicing in the Lord always, to be people of joy, uh, to be people who, no matter how hard it gets, to rejoice in knowing who they are in Christ. So to be people of joy, uh, Paul possibly could have been thinking about uh, Psalm uh, 34 when he was writing this part of the letter. I encourage you to go back and look at that because there is great references to being people of joy and rejoicing. <clears throat> thinking of the forbearance, uh, gentleness, moderation, and reasonableness, uh, to be good to all people is kind of what you're thinking of. If you go back to uh, Psalm 34 and see that, you'll see what Paul is referring to. Uh, that And even if people are using things against us, uh, we will see, again, um, that we are to be people of forbearance, gentleness, moderation, reasonableness, people of, of joy. But it's not just once that they are to rejoice. It's not just once. It is in all circumstances, in all ways, because Paul knows that these people are not dealing just with stuff within the church, but dealing with stuff at home and dealing with stuff in the community and dealing with just all kinds of stuff that we've discussed, we especially we talked a lot about in the first week. We talked about the context in which Philippi existed. Uh, we, we know also that they are to do it in all circumstances, and sometimes I think we like to forget that and think that we can pick when we should rejoice in the Lord. But again, Paul says always, and I think that's a good line to follow. As we continue on here into verse 5, Paul continues his exhortation uh, in how the people should live with joy and gentleness. Uh, I can imagine gentleness to be both the people in the church and the people outside the church. And again, in all situations, they should be people who have joyful and gentle hearts. Not just the Church of Philippi should be people with joyful and gentle hearts, but we should be people of joyful and gentle hearts. Uh, remember that, and you guys already know, and I imagine those of you following along very closely have known that what gentleness is, or to be gentle, is a fruit of the Spirit, as is what we've already talked about, joy, rejoicing. So Paul is giving them a couple of the fruits of the Spirit here to, to live in the same mindset of Christ, who was gentle as well as joyful. A lot of times we like to think we don't need to be gentle because we need to get our country back, or we need to fight for this, we need to fight for that. Uh, we need to fight for a certain way of life. Uh, and that's no way we can be gentle. And that's exactly opposite of what Paul is teaching here because he, they could have easily made that argument back in Philippi when Roman occupied them, when Rome occupied them, oppressing them. And they could have said, oh, there's no way reason for us to be gentle. We must fight our way. And uh, instead, they loved their way, and it, it turned out relatively well for them. Though Rome, it was, it was a hard place to be. To think about all of that, the, the, the world uh, should witness the fruits of the Spirit coming from the church. If we are to be people exuding, if we're not the people who are exuding gentleness and people of joy, who, who will? It's something that we need to think about. 
Based on the word being used, epikeia, uh, gentle can also be seen as what is fitting, right, and equitable. So don't think of it as the just being really kind of soft-handed and just super nice. It's also being doing what is fitting, right, and equitable. I really want to focus on that last word, equitable. Uh, so this expands the word well beyond gentle and brings us into a different realm of equitability and living right by someone or a group of people. So we need to probably check on that. Uh, I know I do. I know everyone at some level has to see are we equitable in how we live, how we think, uh, and how uh, we go day by day. The idea of the Lord is near, uh, possibly another reference <clears throat> uh, to uh, Psalm 34, 18. Uh, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is not about the Lord coming soon, but more about the Lord is near to all who call upon him. Uh, similar to James 4.8 and 5.8. Remember, unlike a lot of us today, a lot of people today, their concern was not Jesus coming tomorrow and the world is ending today. Their concern was survivalship, surviving, but their concern was also living a life of obedience and humility and living a life of the same mindset of Christ and to know that God was with them and that he is with them just like Emmanuel, God with us all the time. <clears throat> Verse 6, Paul continues with some additional direction on how they should live day to day. There's no reason to be anxious about anything. I know that's hard for us to to, to put our heads around based on the amount of anxiety that courses through the veins of society today. It's un very unfortunate, and I think some of it is self-perpetuating, uh, and I think some of it is, is actually uh, legitimate. But this is, uh, this is mind-blowing, and it's, like I said, uh, but it's also true. There is anxiety. There's good anxiety, and there's bad anxiety, and uh, they were dealing with some bad stuff at that time, and I know people do today here as well. Uh, so I don't want to um, minimize that by any stretch. So anyways, as Paul says this, uh, if we are to, to, to turn to Christ about our concerns and anxieties, he will help guide us through this. And that's what Paul is teaching us here. And But it's not like an immediate prayer and an immediate fix. And I think that's unfortunately how we like to look at a lot of things is that we think that if we, if we do this prayer tonight, a certain prayer in a certain way, stand in our head uh, with, you know, one one sock on and one sock off, uh, that God's all automatically going to fix our issues. That's that's not what it is. It's it's us asking for wisdom. It's asking for discernment uh, that God will provide that. Uh, and, and it's as we know again from Psalm thirty four fifteen, the fact that Paul is trying to show us is that God is personal and present, unlike the pagan gods that were being worshipped there in Philippi and the surrounding area. God will get us through it, but it may not always be on the timing that we hope for because through anxiety we can grow and we can learn and we can come grow closer to Christ. Uh, notice that Paul continues from rejoicing and being gentle in all situations to now turning to God with all of our concerns and anxieties. Paul is, Paul is consistent in his teachings that prayer and supplication should be persistent and continuous. Something that they they needed to be reminded of and we need to be reminded of as well about having a continual prayer prayer life to God, not only whenever it's convenient or we need something, but a continuous dialogue, uh, relationship, communication with God. The only way we develop that relationship with God is by praying and hearing and having this 
continuous and persistent communication. Since words matter, <clears throat> since words matter, uh, the use of anxious here could be also be uh, uh, care for. Merimnate is the word. Uh, this could be, say, care for others. Uh, so the anxiety is not about our own personal. I thought this was very interesting when I was going through this. Uh, it's not about our own personal concerns or the anxiety we have about ourselves because we're, we're so self. Many many of us, including me, is very self involved, and the anxiety is kind of about our own our own stuff. But the word that you're seeing here that Paul is using can also be used to say to care about and have concern. For others, such as you know, being anxious about a child or a parent, uh, we we all know those relationships can lead to anxiety. And if you have teenagers like we do, uh, that that's very true, uh, and and it, and it happens. But this this word he's using is it is is also for us to care for others. And that is, if we are to care for others, we will see much more. Uh, you'll you'll see deeper relationships not only with the people we care for, but also a deeper relationship with Christ. So the idea idea here is to go beyond yourself in this in this circumstance, uh, and not look only uh, at the concerns for ourselves, but the concern and caring for other people. I like to like the way that word can be used uh, multiple ways, not just me 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 being anxious, but to have to be anxious for the the the, uh, the health and well being of the other people, and praying to God for those people to help them through whatever issues that they're facing and for you to have the wisdom and the discernment that you need to help get them through that. As we continue on, the last three verses of today, we have um, verse 7, <clears throat> related to the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Only God can provide the peace that will help us when we are anxious for ourselves and for others. Only God can fix the situation. You hear this in the in the, your sorry your the word your here is in the plural form. It's not just as individuals uh, <clears throat> related to guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Obviously, based on how hearts and minds are written. He is speaking in the plural, but again, I, I think a lot of times we read stuff like this and we're really thinking it's just all about us when, in fact, it's about the, the community. Uh, so they would look at this as helping and praying for the anxieties and cares of the entire church and the entire community and not just for their own individual's cares. When, when you see with guard, God is caring and guarding our hearts uh, while we are caring for others in our community. It's, it's, that one of those, it's part of that relationship that we have with that. Uh, the piece Paul writes about here, the piece, not the P-I-E-C-E, the, the piece uh, uh, Paul writes about is more than just the absence of conflict, but it is also the presence of Christ as we know it, if you were to go back to Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. So sometimes we think a uh, life of peace is just a life without conflict, uh, but it's that's not it. Uh, there's always going to be conflict, but to have peace is to know Christ, and Christ is with us. Uh, peace, as we also know, is a, a fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5.22. Now, we already saw the others uh, just earlier. We saw, saw gentleness uh, if God, and joy. And if God's peace is in the community, uh, they would not only be free from the anxiety, but also would be able to exist in a harmonious community. So these three 
fruits of gentleness, peace, and joy help the community thrive and help the community live in harmony. And I'm not talking about just the church community, but let's see church community live within the rest of the community in harmony. <clears throat> so it, again, it's not just about individuals. God is protecting the community and the individuals within the community. Both are being protected here. Okay, the final two verses I, I put together, uh, just uh, even though it's two different sentences, I, I, at least that's how it's translated here. So I wanted, but it's, but I brought it together because of the way they just kind of tie together here. So, uh, so Paul continues his exhorting. It's a fun word to say. He wants them to be model citizens of the community and of the church by modeling the mindset of Christ, uh, to be uh, consonant of the gospel, uh, to consider eight virtues that he brings up. These are the uh, the Hellenistic moral code possibly or moral virtues to help them remove the anxiety and to focus on the mindset of Christ. Uh, what is interesting about what's being used here is he uses six adjectives and two nouns uh, <clears throat> and this is actually pretty uncommon for Paul and like I said but it is very common for the Greco-Roman Hellenistic same thing uh, moral code. Uh, it is also uh, typical if you were to study Jewish wisdom literature to see this as well. Uh, so, so we see this also with James uh, in the book of James, or the letter that James wrote, who we believe to be, uh, I think, depending on who you ask, Jesus' brother, who is obviously very Jewish, uh, who would be very familiar with Jewish wisdom, uh, to write something similar in James 3, 13 through 18, when he is speaking of wisdom from above. Some could argue that Paul is dipping a bit into Hellenistic moralism. I think I've already approached that uh, with a little bit, like I said, of the Jewish wisdom here, which could say that th though they are citizens of heaven, so stay with me here as I go through this, they are citizens of heaven. So those who, of us who are believers are citizens of heaven. Uh, they are not, we are not to abandon the world in which we currently live. They were not to abandon the world in which they currently lived. Uh, they should embrace the world they are living in with the lens of the cross firmly in place. So to be able to know what the final destination is, but to live here in peace, gentleness, and joy. It's not about getting an exit ticket out of here. And that's never been, and the thing is, is if you read Revelation, and uh, you, you'll see that uh, the, the, the saints that are meeting Christ as he's uh, descending from heaven aren't going up to heaven. Christ is coming down from heaven, remaking a new heaven and a new earth. Renewing heaven and earth, sorry. It's not a brand new heaven and earth. So is this, this list that Paul uh, provides um, could easily and should uh, typify uh, the, the Christian thought in our daily walk with God in our community. So, these are, these are good words that he speaks of whatever is right, pure, lovely, good repute. Um, if not Hellenistic in nature, these could be also be known as the virtues of Christ, as we have seen from other letters from Paul, uh, being 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 7, and Colossians 3, 12 through 15. As Christ incarnate uh, embodies these virtues, the church body is to do the same as we deal with the stresses and hostility within and outside the church. Something to think about, since many of the people who are reading this have not seen Christ, but maybe some of them have, 
but most most likely had, had never did see Christ when Christ was here on earth. Uh, there to 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 model Paul, and this is going and in, taking us into verse nine, who who lives in the way that Paul is describing. People people of prayer, uh, people who are pure, people who live lives that are praiseworthy and honoring to God, uh, are all things that Paul tried to 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 strive for, and all things they should strive for. So if they are to to model the life of Paul, and by extension Timothy and other faithful leaders in the church, God's peace will be with them. They will live within the joy and peace of Christ. Uh, if our interpretation of, of these, these moralistic ideas uh, are true, and or of Christian thought are true, or Jewish wisdom are true, then we could th- three things should happen here. The first one is they should embrace things that are good no matter where they find it. This includes the culture in which they live, and that's the same for us. We should always embrace the things that are good uh, around us, to look for those, to seek them out, to search for them, to have our eyes open to that, because there is a lot of good around us, no matter how bad, how much bad we want to look for, no much how much doom scrolling we would like to do uh, throughout the day. Uh, there is a lot of good here. So be it... Uh, at the church, at the marketplace, at uh, your place of work, the park, uh, a commons area, uh, where to look for what is true, uplifting, and admirable. They, they, are to this, uh, they do this uh, embracing in a discriminating way. Uh, the key way to do this is, is, like I said, is in a discriminating way is with the gospel. So use the lens of the gospel to see what that that good is uh, that they may be redeemed and being continually transformed in the light of God allows for that so if we were to model what Christ is trying for us or wanting us to model or showing to model here we can live the lives of peace the lives of hope uh, and re- but while or whilst remaining humble and obedient in Christ. So Paul continues that uh, as we go on to the next section here, which will be verses 10 through 23, which we'll do next time. Uh, But that wraps up verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4. I hope uh, everyone has a good rest of their week, and we will see you next time. Always a pleasure. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.